Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing one of India's biggest disasters, and honestly, one of the world's biggest disasters, the Bhopal Gas Tragedy. Here's what you need to know. Bhopal is a city located in the central state region of India. It is known as the City of Lakes, boasting various natural and man-made lakes with beautiful, lush green surroundings. But in 1984, it was the setting for the worst industrial disaster known to humankind. In the 1960s, India was facing severe food shortages. As a result, the Green Revolution was launched in an effort to make the country's agriculture production more industrialized. This required the implementation of modern technology in farming, and pesticides were a major part of that equation. In 1969, an American chemical company, the Union Carbide Corporation, or UCC, built a factory in Bhopal to manufacture carbaryl, an insecticide sold under the brand name Seven. At first, the company imported the highly toxic methyl isocyanate, or MIC, a chemical used for the creation of their pesticides. Methyl isocyanate is an odorless gas. Its precursor, the chemical phosgene, was used in combat during World War I and linked to the death of over 70,000 people. Exposure to high concentrations of MIC induces coughing, blurred vision, nausea, vomiting, and ultimately death. In 1980, 
Union Carbide Corporation had begun manufacturing MIC in its plant in Bhopal in order to lower the costs of their product. But by 1984, sales of seven had plummeted, and the plant was operating at a loss. It was just before midnight on December 2nd, 1984, when horror struck. The scenes are simply hellish. So much suffering from India's invisible killer. At one point, an official said one death was being recorded every minute from the poison gas leak in the city of Bhopal. The Union Carbide Insecticide Plant has been closed, of course, now. Outside, vultures devour the carcasses of animals killed by the fumes. Doctors are working around the clock at hospitals that are filled to overflowing. A chemical reaction inside the UCC plant caused a leak in the MIC tank. Around 12.40 a.m., the first external siren alerting the public went off. By 12.45 a.m., the siren was inexplicably turned off. Residents near the plant, many of them living in densely populated slums, woke from their sleep gasping for air. A cloud of MIC gas spread across nearly two-thirds of the city. Birds fell from the sky. Cattle fell over and children, as well as adults, began to choke to death. People, still dressed in their nightgowns, flooded the streets, trying to escape, and in doing so, they ingested even more lethal doses of the gas. As a strong southeasterly wind blew the gas toward the center of Bhopal, the air, along with the cold weather, began to cool the gas off. Since MIC is twice as heavy as air, the gas began to sink down. Those closest to the ground, where the strongest concentration of MIC could be found, ingested deadly amounts. Sadly, these were mostly children or people too weak to get out of their beds. Residents who ran frantically outside, eyes burning, mouths frothing, risked being trampled as people desperately tried to escape and breathe clean air. If only they'd known to climb to a higher spot or to cover their faces with a wet cloth. But they didn't. The UCC had never alerted its surrounding residents of the dangerous chemicals being stored in such close proximity at the plant, nor had they advised them how to mitigate the risk in case of an accident. Back at the factory, workers tried to stop the gas from escaping by spraying water, but the gas simply flowed over it. A vent scrubber, a piece of equipment intended to prevent the gas from spreading out of its containment, failed to operate. The team working that night didn't immediately inform local authorities about the leak. This caused chaos at hospitals, as doctors didn't know how to treat the thousands of patients arriving with inexplicable injuries. Plant workers later claimed their phone lines were down. It was around 2.30 a.m. when they were able to control the leak at the UCC plant. By 7 a.m., the morning of December 3rd, the gas had completely dissipated. But the damage had been done. Over 30 tons of toxic MIC had spread throughout the city of Bhopal. More than 600,000 people were exposed to the deadly gas cloud. Days after the disaster, Union Carbide officials flew from the U.S. to Bhopal. Their CEO was arrested upon landing, though he was later released. No American employees of the company were ever convicted for their involvement. In Bhopal today, the survivors of the poison gas disaster were visited by Nobel Peace Prize winner Mother Teresa. At 74, she is bent but hardly broken by what she has seen. She tries to comfort by listening. These men saying, we can hardly see anymore. Have faith, have faith, she said. Let us learn during this time to forgive. It's very important that no bitterness, no anger dwells in our hearts. But hundreds in Bhopal were not in a forgiving mood, chanting Union Carbide is a killer. Union Carbide acknowledged today that two years ago, the company had major concerns about the safety conditions for methyl isocyanate at its plant in Bhopal, India. New documents show that a Union Carbide safety team warned of problems handling methyl isocyanate three months before the deadly leak in Bhopal, India. But the warnings were about Carbide's plant in Institute, West Virginia. A report by one of the company's own safety teams there warned a runaway reaction could occur and cause a catastrophic failure of the tank at the West Virginia plant. 
It said tanks with methyl isocyanate weren't being inspected often enough to guard against contamination. A little water in the tank, for instance, could cause the chemical to heat rapidly, turn to gas, and blow. Corrective action was taken at Institute, but the plant in Bhopal wasn't told about any of this. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. The government of the Indian state of Madhya Pradesh confirmed 3,787 deaths as a result of the gas leak that night. The unofficial estimate exceeded 10,000 deaths. About 25,000 people overall have eventually succumbed to MIC exposure. More than half a million people were injured, with many of them dying from illnesses including lung cancer, kidney failure, and liver disease. After inspection of the facility, it was found that 35 tons of MIC still remained in the plant after the gas leak. In 1989, UCC settled a lawsuit for $470 million in damages, with each gas-exposed person getting 25,000 Indian rupees. Under the terms of the settlement, UCC continued to deny liability for the incident. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Fact checker Clayton Early. Hello, Rebecca. And our very special guest today is actor Nelson Franklin. Hello, thanks for having me. Now, Nelson is an actor in many of your favorite TV comedies, including Blackish, which is out soonish, like Clayton uh, suggested I, I uh, introduce. Thank you for giving me credit for that joke. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we always cite our sources here at The Alarmist. That's True. right. We like to start kind of by asking our guests, what is something that is currently alarming you or, you know, just a general anxiety that you have? Something sure. that connects us all. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like flying. I do it. I just do it anyway, but I hate it. Tell us about your process. Okay. Well, basically, I take like a 0.5 milligram Xanax right when I get on the plane, which is not enough. I'm a big person. I'm like weigh 215 pounds, but it's sort of like 50% uh, a placebo and 50% calms me down a little bit. And then basically, I'm pretty chill for half the flight. And the second half of the flight, I'm sort of gritting my teeth because it starts to wear off. But I'm like too anxious to take another one because I'm like, well, what What if I if I have a bad reaction? I'm already on the plane. I'm, just, you know, it's still so stupid. <laughs> there it is. There but it I, is. I knew I, I knew you were part of this club. There it is. <laughs> I mean, there's the whole like getting COVID on a plane thing. That's also it's just a lot of stuff to worry about there. But I'll try not oh. to. <laughs> No, no, mm-hmm. let's focus our attention more on this ter- absolutely terrible disaster that no one is talking about. Yeah. Let's talk about people and things to put up on the board because yeah. there's a lot to cover here. A lot of negligence. So first off, we have to put up Union Carbide Corporation. This is the the company who ran the the plant. Now, according to the New York Times, the Indian government and Indian activists contended that Union Carbide's slack management and deferred maintenance cause the disaster. Now, this is uh, an article on The Atlantic. It said, it was just a very good article, I highly recommend. It says, Union Carbide Corporation, its former Indian subsidiary, its current owner, Dow DuPont, the state of Madhya Pradesh, I'm saying that wrong, I apologize, and the central Indian government have all played an endless game of pass the buck. While the charade plays on and people continue to think of Bhopal's tragedy as one horrific night in 1984, the site still hosts hundreds of tons of contaminated waste. Bhopal's disaster is, in fact, still unfolding. Now, this is according to a uh, someone who worked in the company. Their name was Kumkum Modwell. And it says, she joined the company as a starry-eyed youngster, excited to be a part of this booming American company in her sleepy hometown. Things were sunny at first, 
But then some small accident and, and, and safety uh, lapses began niggling at her. She was troubled by the company's cutbacks on safety as profit margins plunged and truckloads of unsold pesticide returned to the factory. Her turning point came in 1981 when a worker she knew, Ashraf Mohammed Khan, died horribly after being drenched in phosgene, the, a precursor to MIC. Now, phosgene, if you remember, is what they used in World War I. Shaken, Modwell says that she tried to get her superiors to improve the safety procedures, but to no avail. I left because no one would listen to me. I left in utter disgust, she says. This, this is not the way you run a huge corporate plant handling lethal chemicals. This is a how not to do things. So, I mean, there's more. This company, um, in the early years of the factory, UCC dumped its waste into 21 unlined pits within the site. This was not at the time an unusual practice, although companies in the United States had begun to move away for, from it. So it's cool to do in India, but it's not cool to do in the U.S., in 1977, UCC built three solar evaporation ponds about 400 meters north of the factory and piped untreated waste directly into the ponds. Thin liners were put in to keep the chemicals from seeping into the ground, and the strong Bhopal sun was supposed to take care of the rest, but the liners quickly fell apart, and memos in 1982, two years prior to the accident from uh, the Bhopal plant, to the company's headquarters, warned that the ponds were leaking and might contaminate the groundwater. Local farmers lodged complaints that the company's runoff was killing their cattle and their crops. In 1984, disaster derailed the co- th- this disaster then derailed those conversations. After the tragedy, UCC closed down the factory. The tanks and the vats, vats on the site were finally emptied in 89, so five years later, and about 360... Tons of the most hazardous waste was locked up in 2005, so (laughs) much later. But the rest, the corroding pipes, the bottles, the unnamed chemicals, and the massive waste pit have remained untouched. So they're literally still there. Right. And I read that a journalist tried to go sneak into the factory and check it out, and he, like, immediately was hospitalized the same day. Wow. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Ooh, it's going to feel so good to throw someone in the alarmist jail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't wait. <laughs> there were um, undertones or uh, similarities to what's happening now in the global pandemic in the sense that a lot of wealthy, more affluent people were able to flee and leave Whereas all of the people without the means had to stay and like live off the land that they were kind of tied to financially. Oh God! Um, right, and the, so that just tale. keeps replaying. <laughs> classic yeah, tale. That's, that's very classic. <laughs> and also similar uh, to the pandemic, the hospitals weren't ready for that amount of people coming in, which no. was every single person who lived in the entire city. And uh, yeah. right. And they were also not briefed on how to treat the gas poisoning. So they're like, "What do we, I don't know what to do with these people. They're, they're giving them oxygen or something. I don't know. It was crazy. It's even more inexcusable, though, in Bhopal, because it's not like, you know, the United States is like has a big coronavirus factory in the middle of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like this one literally it's it's Florida. Like you should have. Yeah, <laughs> you should have been prepared. And it sounds like a lot of the safety protocols were not in place. That's right. Yes. Let's oh, talk right. about those safety protocols. They're huge. Yes. Well, first of all, I, and I think Clayton's going to love this, just me bringing this up. We I have know where you're going. Capitalism <laughs> up on the board. I know we just recently <laughs> sent it to jail. I'm trying to do it this time ahead of you. So I'm trying to get ahead of you. <laughs> I've been biting my tongue. Reuters, they, it's an article there. It says, a central piece of the Union Carbide's defense rests on the ownership structure right. of Union Carbide. Uh, India limited it. Limited, as the Indian entity that owns the Bhopal plant was known, Car- Union Carbide says it only had slightly over 50% stake in UCIL, while the rest was owned by Indian public, local institution, uh, institutional investors. The, the company says it, it would never control daily operations of the plant, and hence it is not legally liable for the disaster. Now, the Indian government, this is uh, back to the Atlantic, the Indian government and Indian activists contend that slack management and deferred maintenance caused the disaster. Union Carbide 
blamed sabotage. It denied that it had been mixing dangerous chemicals in India to save money. It would be less expensive, the company said, to make the pesticide in the United States and sell it in India. But that is not... Now, this is me speaking. That is not what happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, according to... Yeah, they were definitely making it. The National Academic Press, the UCIL factory in Bhopal, India was a manufacturing facility for the pesticide that had designed similar to the plant uh, in Institute West Virginia. So UCC has the same plant in West Virginia, and it had been manufacturing MIC on site since 1980. As an intermediate step to the production of these pesticides, the facility stored a large quantity of MIC on site, although it was not actively manufacturing the material at the time of the incident. So it wasn't so this is the technicality that UCC is going on. We weren't manufacturing it. Well, it had at the moment stopped manufacturing because there, you know, was no demand. a dip in sales right. at the time. Yeah, but I guess it is important to realize that they had cuz what was the timeline there? It was like they the UCC set up the plant in India and then a couple of years later, maybe 4 or 5 years later, they then like took off and let the Indian government control the factory, right? Although they did do perform in 1982, like the parent company came back to the facility and performed like a like highly scrutinized evaluation. And there were like several alarming things that need to be fixed that yes. according to them, they're like, yeah, we fixed those things. But there's like no real evidence, as I'm sure we'll discuss later, that some of those major things were even addressed. So do you guys think that we should throw up either the Indian government or the the um, Union Carbide India Limited, which is the Indian owned portion of the company? Yes, I, I sure. do think that they're they have to go up on the board. Yeah, for sure on the board. Yeah. And I want to talk about this phenomenon that continues to happen in these disasters. And we saw it in Chernobyl. We see it all the time. It's a messy changing of the guard. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Big time. What's crazy about this is Chernobyl happened after this. You think they could have oh, learned from this disaster. Yeah. They, the alarmist should have been a podcast back then. <laughs> and that's our fault. And that's our fault. That's your fault, Rebecca. That's on us. That's on us. <laughs> So this is wild. I got to give a shout out to the Casualties podcast. They had a lot of good good information. From 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. December 2nd, the second shift supervisor directs uh, uh, the staff to flush pipes that help the safety measures in place due to buildup. Okay, so they're they're concerned with like buildup in the water pipes. And they're like, okay, let's do a flushing of the pipes. At 9.30, the procedure begins, and it it proceeded without cause for concern. So it's going okay. At 10.30 p.m., they clock out, and the third shift arrives and takes over the flushing procedure. So (laughs) why the guys started the flushing procedure an hour before their shift was over, you know, blows my mind. But we'll continue. We're going forward with that. 11.30... Uh, a man by the name of Suman Day, he's the third shift control room operator, observes the pressure in the MIC tank has risen from 2 PSI to 10 PSI in just 30 minutes. Now, we are not scientists. We don't know what PSIs are, but we understand that going from 2 to 10 in 30 minutes is probably a big deal. But according to Suman, uh at 25 PSI, it's still considered acceptable. So it's still below the acceptable number, but it's going up fast. Now, small leaks of MIC had become so commonplace that on December 2nd, a supervisor discovered a leak of MIC around 1130 and put off dealing with it until after his tea break. The tea break. I love that part. God. <laughs> Ooh. The mm. alarm. Put tea on the board. Blank tea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tea breaks. <laughs> and by the way, okay, it was like it was breaks. like a forty-five minute tea break too. This guy had yes. like a whole yes. lot of tea. <laughs> yeah. Crumpets up the wazoo. Yeah. <laughs> so they um, had said that they had done a water spray to neutralize the gas, and they go on their tea breaks, and they're like, you know, we're gonna talk uh, about 
how to repair it during the tea break. That was their excuse. <laughs> Be, and that said, leaks are common, right? So they're happening all the time. At 12.15, Suman, who's back in the control room, notices that the pressure in the tank is between 25 to 30 PSI. So that, that has gone up quickly. At 2.30 a.m., it, it had climbed to 55 PSI. That's, I mean, it's, it's, this it's is like going up. There's a huge if you're watching problem. the cartoon version of this, it's like bulging and little lines are coming off it now. He, at this point, he goes to the storage room, and uh, apparently the storage room was above the, where they kept the tanks because they kept the tanks underground to keep them cool. And he, he, he realizes that the floor is extremely hot, and there's a loud hissing coming from the tanks underneath him like pressure is being released, like a, like a, a gigantic tea kettle, essentially. More tea. More tea. <laughs> More tea. It's on theme. <laughs> so there's a problem. He realizes there's a problem. There, there are safety breaches. Now, we have tea breaks, and we have the uh, changing of the, of the guard. Um, Quick, can I, before you get to these safety measures, I just want to throw in a few facts that I came across I think might help color this. Please tell me. This team of people, there was, according to like the parent company's strict guidelines, there were supposed to be 12 people on guard at all times. So because of recent cutbacks because they were not making as much money, they reduced that to six people. And these six people were a lot of the like really respected chemists and engineers and scientists who initially started working at the factory left because they just thought they were became very depressed at like the direction that the plant was going. So the people that they hired to replace them were literal high school graduates or people that they had transferred from like battery factories nearby that didn't have anywhere near the level of risk or like, you know, functionings going on. So these are the people who are washing out like the guy I read somewhere in the New York Times article that the kid who went to wash the pipe was like I didn't I don't wasn't trained how to do that I was supposed to do one thing that was my job but I was just told to go clean out the pipe with water so you have a bunch of high school graduates who don't know what they're doing just like ignoring signs because they're like oh it leaks all the time that's what they told us yeah and plus adding water to the tank is a very dangerous that's what and yeah. in, in inevitably <laughs> yes. made it blow up <laughs> so if you don't know what you're doing when you're putting water in and around the tank it's a big big problem big problem i you know maybe we can put up brain drain i think that's what you're t- <laughs> isn't that what it isn't that what it's called <laughs> brain drain brain drain i, I, I maybe clayton, i'm getting clayton can you, can yes. you go to urban dictionary and find <laughs> us the definition for brain drain when, when cities lose their um, highly qualified uh, experts or, yes. or um, it's okay. Oh. I'm not crazy. It's, oh, it's a, a real thing. Oh. It says the emigration of highly trained or intelligent people from a particular country. But in, in this <gasps> sense, uh, the way I wanted to use it was because they're, they're leaving the, the corporation. They're leaving the company, the high, mm. highly skilled yes. personnel are yes. slowly leaving because they're unhappy. Yes, they're not being challenged. Right. UCC brain drain. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Did everyone who worked there die or were they somehow safe? No, they were safe because they were also wearing masks and they were able to... Oh. And they ran. They just they started ran. running they from the gas. happening. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so these safety breaches. Now, they're, it, it's terrible. Uh... So uh, the Atlantic says uh, uh, an MIC plant operator at the time of the disaster and a vocal critic of UCC and others told government investigators that months before the leak, managers shut down a refrigeration unit that was intended to keep the MIC tank cool enough to prevent accidents. One of the three safety systems in place had been out of service for weeks. The other had broken down two days before the accident. So the lack of working safety backup was a major issue. Now, our man, Suman, Suman, he goes back at 12.35 a.m. and starts the procedure to neutralize the gas via the vent scrubber. This was one of the backups. But uh, it was offline, and his attempts were unsuccessful. It had been offline for repairs for weeks. So this is the thing that's, that's broken. That's when the external sirens go off uh, for residents to hear. But then they turn off five minutes later. That's another safety uh, uh, measure that 
doesn't uh, help them. Another safety measure was to cool the tank, as said, with this uh, refrigeration system, um, because the uh, MIC has to be kept at 104 degrees or under at all times. Uh, But when this is attempted, they realize that the Freon refrigerant had been drained for months. So they're like, oh, it's not there. So this is already three. Then they're like, okay, last shot. This is the last thing we have to try. At 1240, the plant workers tried to stop the leak by using fire hoses to spray to the uh, the top of the vent scrubber, but the spray of the hoses wasn't high enough to reach the gas. So the oh, hose- this reminds me of the ladders in the Triangle mm-hmm. Shirtwaist fire. Right, right. The, the, the hoses, too, without the water that weren't connected to water. Why do we have hoses that aren't going to fix the problem? You know, they, they did um, in their initial trainings, these employees, the ones who I think were like the more legit capable employees went through what they called what if scenarios where you're at the plant and they just throw a bunch of like, what if A, B and C happens? How do you address it? You think that the hoses and their ability yeah. to reach the gas would be part of that procedure. But from, right. what, from what I understand, the hoses are like a last-ditch effort. There's like the scrubbers, but there's three or four. Uh, you know, all but one were in operation, so one can't handle it. Then there's also these plates that are supposed to prevent water from going in the tank. That's out of operation. Then there's a flare tower also, mm-hmm. which, you know, that, that burns off the escaping gases. That's out of operation. And the refrigerator. Uh, what, what I thought was interesting about the gas flare, too, is it was out of operation. I read that it was something that had been, I think it was inoperable for six days. It would have taken four hours to fix, <laughs> but there was a backlog of maintenance things to fix. Yeah. But what's interesting about it is even if it had been fixed, the pressure from the gas was so high that one of the pipes that the gas would have to travel to to get to the flare would have burst. They they determined that in an investigation afterwards. So even if that was functioning, it still wouldn't have done anything because the pipe couldn't withstand the pressure. God damn. What a mess. God. It's just mess. So what, what, who do we blame for? <laughs> it's like every single safety feature failed. It reminds me of when you buy like a cheap earthquake preparedness kit yeah. and it comes with like tools, but they're really like so cheap that if you ever actually tried to use them, they would just break. But it's really just for peace of mind. Like, is that the situation here? Was it bad luck or was it just full on negligence? I negligence think across negligence. the board. Sure. Tons of negligence. Yeah. And we can blame the CEO, Warren Anderson. Now, this is the guy that the Indian officials were um, trying to get. And he's the one who they, they actually arrest him the second he lands in Bhopal. And then he like pays his bail and then leaves and never comes back. Yeah. So he's he's, you know, uh, uh, th- so they're trying to extradite him and. They essentially later on just officially label him a fugitive. Uh, A judge called him an absconder uh, from India. And in 2010, after eight eight low-level Indian executives of Union Carbide's Bhopal subsidiary uh, were convicted of negligence. This is in 2010, so 25 years later. Um, But eight are convicted. Um, an Indian news site visited Mr. Anderson's immaculately landscaped home in the Hamptons, reflecting Indian public's uh, opinion that he deserved punishment as the ultimate culprit. The writer imagined a future that never happened, 10 to 20 years in a dirty, overcrowded, rat-infested Indian prison. In 1989, Union Carbide... So this guy has three homes, Vero Beach... Greenwich, Connecticut, Bridgehampton, New York. He lives until, you know, he's well into his 90s. And he never faces legal action. Sounds about right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Did the Indian men, did they go to, were they convicted? Eight Eight of them were. Right. Low level is what it says here. Low level. The seven surviving defendants uh, were sentenced to two years in prison and fined 100,000 rupees or $2,100. They were the first criminal convictions from the leak at the Union Carbide Chemical Plant. Right. I mean, look, uh, whether those workers are at fault, you know, obviously they were underqualified and didn't know what to do. But also they were the ones handling it. So I guess what do you do in that situation? Jeez. What do you do? I don't know. 
You don't. Well, have what's the... your saying, Rebecca? That you always say, "Shit trickles down." Not <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Right. So so true. It's impossible for it to sh- to trickle up. So if you are, I mean, think about how like things are today. If someone's going to try and put a chemical plant or a nuclear plant or anything anywhere, at least in America, like everyone is like environmentalists are all over it. People in the community are all over it. They're protesting. If I feel like any human in a capitalist society should be wary of a company who is in the business of selling highly toxic, highly lethal chemicals because you know, cap- capitalism is based on growth among all other things, right? So if there's no growth and that company can't sell its toxic, like what happens to all of that stuff, right? And like we've seen this time and time again. So is there fault in like the local community? I don't know if it's like the government or just like local apathy or not willing to or unable to educate themselves on what is actually being built. And I'm sure it was sold as like, a, hey, this is a company It's from America. It's going to come in and it's going to increase your life you know, your livelihood and income, but like, were they actually researching what was coming to their community and the potential harm? Okay. So two part that it's a two parter. There's the green revolution that happens in India in the sixties. And now let's take a quick break to speak with Ravi Rajan, a professor of environmental studies at the university of California, Santa Cruz. So can you help us understand India's Green Revolution. What was its goal and what is its connection to the Union Carbide Company setting up shop in Bhopal? Yeah, good question. Um, The Green Revolution came about in a desperate bid by the central government to increase food productivity of grains mainly, but of other agricultural commodities as well. Uh, India had a, was a net importer of a number of critical agricultural goods uh, right up to the mid-60s. Uh, in fact, there was a caricature of the country as uh, going to the world at a begging bowl uh, for food. So the idea was that uh, you know, they were looking for any kind of inputs, any kinds of methods of increasing agricultural throughput, productivity, and thereby making the country self-sufficient. Right about then was a time that the Green Revolution technologies were just being invented and being fairly significantly promoted by large big foundations like the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations, which had very large establishments, several hundred experts based in India. Lots of U.S. land-grant colleges uh, were also involved. Um, Agricultural extension agents were trained brought from India to be trained uh, in these land-grant facilities and sent back. So an entire support structure to um, augment and promote this Green Revolution system uh, was created at that point in time. The positive end of the story, of course, is that India did become not so self-sufficient, but an exporter of food crops. So in that regard, it was tremendously useful. The negatives, of course, are very well known that the Green Revolution brought in very toxic and hazardous technologies, uh, created tremendous amounts of groundwater and uh, soil pollution, uh, dealing with chemical pesticides in particular. And it also brought in its wake companies like Union Carbide that manufactured um, pesticides in India, and in the end, in the case of this particular accident, resulted in several thousand people dying and almost a million people suffering uh, in its wake. Listen to our full interview on Thursday's Aftermath. Now back to our conversation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's happening is that in 1984, there's a drought. So maybe we need to put this drought up on the board. Mm. There's a drought and that's causing all of the crops to die. Therefore, if your crops are dying, you don't need pesticide. I mean, we could also put pesticides on the board. No one's ever, right. they're not good for anybody ever in the history of mankind. And they cause this plant to explode. <laughs> I think definitely. Yeah. I think we could, I mean, could we also put that green, what was it called? The, the green, green revolution? revolution? I mean, because maybe they industrialized too fast before mm-hmm. they really had the the infrastructure to support these big plants on their own. They, I mean, right. yeah. I, I think they're focused that, on growth instead of sustainability. The the thing with that though is that you know when people are starving to death, it's like we uh, I don't know. It's understandable that a country would be like, okay, we got to do something fast. It's so hard not to just think it was really the Americans taking advantage of the situation by opportunizing this and trying to make money off of it. For sure, that's part of it, yes. But, you know, we'll we'll keep our verdicts until we get to that (laughs) I know where we're all (laughs) I know this crowd. Well, maybe this will change your mind. Let's talk about this saboteur. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I mean... yeah, I was super skeptical at first. It's like they're saying uh, that's what the Union Carbide alleged that uh, a disgruntled employee sabotaged the plant for it to explode. And the first thing I do is roll my eyes all the way back into my head and say, go to hell. You know, that's a classic American nonsense excuse. But then they took the claims of how the explosion happened and a bunch of scientists tried to replicate the explosion in a controlled environment. They're like, OK, well. Let's see if any of these things would cause it. And they could not, for the life of them, recreate this disaster. And they said the only possible way for that amount of water to get into the tank is if somebody had put a hose into the tank and filled it up with water. And they said when they got to the site, there was like a hose right next to one of the entry points of the tank just lying on the floor. So the science part of it is what makes me, even for a second, believe the sabotage thing because I'm a man of science and I appreciate that they did those experiments to try and recreate the explosion. It could not do it under any circumstances besides the sabotage. But then who were these scientists? Yeah, good question. Who created it. So but we're coming up on time here. If there's any other stuff to get up on the board, let's do it. I, I do want to put the Department of Labor. This is where I wanted to ah. talk about the Indian government. So the Department of Labor in, uh, in the state of which Bhopal is the capital employs 15 factory inspectors to monitor more than 8,000 plants spread over the vast state. This is an article that came out in 1985 in the New York Times. So this is, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it's changed at the moment, but at the time, 15 inspectors for 8,000 plants. According to an official of the inspector's office, they, they lack the most basic instruments, even typewriters and telephones in some regional offices. 
and must travel by public bus and train to make their rounds. The Bhopal office, which is responsible for monitoring the, monitoring the UCC plant, has only two inspectors, both mechanical engineers with little knowledge of chemical hazards. Inspection records show that they made many visits to the plant after internal leaks and other mishaps, but recommended only minor remedial recommendations, generally urging the company to follow its own operation procedures more closely. Almost all uh, government officials interviewed maintained that they were not responsible for looking after the MIC tank that leaked and they pointed the finger elsewhere an official of the state labor department this is crazy an official of the state labor department's division of industrial health and safety said that the factory's inspector's uh, job was limited to looking after safety devices to protect workers we do not design maintain and operate plants quote he said we only check to see there are enough protective masks and safety guards <sighs> <laughs> And, and two other things I want to put up on the board. It's it's management not alerting the population or mm. even the doctors yeah. of of the fact that there was toxic, such a toxic chemical in their city. And number two, like if let's say there is an accident, like they could have just I don't know, go up, gone up on their roof or or gone up to a hill because the gas is so heavy. There were there were ways that they could have saved themselves. They could have mm. uh, put put like wet towels uh, on windowsills, not allowed the the chemical to come into their house. Like there there were so many things they could have done, but they didn't. Mm. And that goes back. Uh, so that's like a lack of preparedness, emergency preparedness mm-hmm. with the com- within the community. Because like I grew up in California. We would have earthquake drills at school. If you grew up where a gas leak, a deadly, horrible, gruesome, deadly gas leak was a possibility, you should know what to do if that happens. Mm -hmm. Finally, I want to put down the snooze effect. I think I'm not alone here. I I set two alarms every morning with a third backup. Uh, so three alarms. So it is alarms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my my alarm that's every day, and then I right. guess it's two backups. So yeah, it, essentially it, the number is three. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm used to the the snooze, right? So I set them apart so that um, it, my first one is at you know seven o'clock, and I snooze that. But the second one is at seven o three. So the snooze is get tighter and tighter, right? And eventually I wake up by like, you know, 7.15 or 7.30. But uh, if you have, once you have too many snoozes, you get used to the alarms. So I'm able to sleep through all of my alarms, which is the same thing that happened in the city. They were used to these alarms going off and uh, and just sleeping through them because there were so many gas leaks that were happening all the time. I read that there were two alarms, one for the plant only and then one for, like, the rest of the city. And they would have these minor leaks in the plant and the city alarm would go off, but they'd turn it off right away because it's like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. This is not a, not a big enough deal. So, yeah, totally boy who cried wolf nonsense. Snooze yeah. effect, you know. Okay, I'm going to screen share now and so we can all see the board here. Boy, there's quite a few on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is quite a few. So, Clayton, would you take us through what we have on the board? Yes. Who is to blame for the Bhopal gas tragedy? We had the Union Carbide Corporation, capitalism, uh, the Union Carbide India Limited, tea breaks, mismanaged changing of the guard, the UCC brain drain, as we dubbed it, uh, negligence to fix safety protocols, uh, our CEO, Warren Anderson, drought, pesticides, uh, sabotage, the Department of Labor, Tanks that were excessively large in storing the chemical, uh, a failure to warn and prepare the surrounding population, and the snooze effect of all the alarms. I think we could merge some of these, like snooze effect and tea break and failure to warn us, sort of like a general negligence category Mm -hmm. or whatever. Ah, I I would agree with you. I would agree with you. So we're wanting to um, snooze effect, failure to warn could be sort of wrapped up into the negligence yeah. to fix safety protocols. Two big tanks could also be in there. Yeah. I think. That's right. If you've been listening to the podcast for long enough, you know, I have a system of alarms that I keep pushing uh, that I think is important that we implement into society. There's the, you know, uh, ding, 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 ding,
So there's levels. That would have been very useful, a very useful system here. After the Pledge of Allegiance in grade school, you hear those alarms and you're told which sound equals what. Because you have to know, because they're not that different. Maybe you should work on those. (laughs) (laughs) There's do-do-do-do. I hear it. I hear it. Very, very clear. Um, So tea breaks, do we want to... To me, tea breaks, honestly, it would have been worse if they hadn't had their tea. (laughs) I think think taking a lunch break is important. So I I think we can take tea breaks off. Okay, Okay, I think you're right. As as much as I want to keep pesticides on there, because this was a pesticide factory, it's really probably too too big of a category Mm because, like, you know, the other pesticide factories did not explode. This one did. That's right. And... I think we can wrap up mismanaged changing of the guard also into negligence. negligence yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I mean, negligence yeah. is no matter what we do here, negligence is definitely going to be. A, a it's going to need something. It's getting yeah. slapped at least. I, <laughs> I do want to keep brain drain on though. Yeah, it's good. Because that's an important uh, uh, issue. Now, I think we can kind of fold the Union Carbide India Limited into the UCC one really it, to me it well I, i'm not seeing i feel like they're run by the ucc i don't know i think we have to keep both of those because the india limited were the people on the ground mm-hmm. right okay okay um, i guess i just so i think but what i think we could take off drought and sabotage i agree yes yeah, i guys... don't think it was a sabotage all right all right personally here's the thing about union carbide and warren anderson they had a very stringent set of safety guidelines that just went on. It's true. You know, I mean, like if, if any of the 20 things that went wrong were still up to like literally what it said to do in the manual, none of this would have happened. It's hard for me to blame Union Carbide, but it's also very easy because it's a horrible giant corporation. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the thing. I think I see where you're going with this, but also Union Carbide still owned the majority of the company. Cause right. didn't it say like they owned like 51%. percent did. So it's on and them to the make Indian- sure. I think so. And it, it is kind of their, I, I don't know if you're bringing this, this poisonous gas into this country that is not equipped. It's like sort of is your responsibility. Yeah. And the fact that they just tried to wash their hands of it and deny any culpability right. bothers me. Um, well, they did pay like a so, billion dollars. Uh, no, oh, they well, didn't. They paid four hundred sixty million in nineteen eighty four, which they said yes. with inflation. But they were. It was like they they, they the lawsuit was with for four billion or something. <laughs> oh man! So yeah. they ended up, you know. I didn't know that one. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. They, didn't you have some report in there in your facts, Rebecca, that they they were they paid four hundred and sixty million, but that year they made like so many, like sixty billion or something. Oh my god! Really. Yeah, yeah, they're and and the fact that they were the ones who approved all of these like cheap, you know, cheap cuts in the plan. They did. This is all coming from them. Okay, they're the ones who are not putting in, spending the money to do these safety protocols. I'm just mad. No one went to jail. Yeah, except for the low level Mm -hmm. Indian executives. Mm -hmm. Like I just think when something like this happens. Someone needs to go to jail. Someone at the top. I mean, so many people died, grew some horrible deaths. But yeah, I, I right. don't know. I could also see us doing capitalism because that's a big contender, too. Oh, I, I would say we can take Department of Labor off. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not Definitely. I mean, they were... They didn't have the means, which is a big reason why maybe you don't put your chemical toxic chemical company in a in an area uh, of a country that doesn't have the means to to check mm. to do the pro- proper safety checks. Is it worth bringing it up that the Indian government only reported thirty seven hundred deaths when it was more like over ten thousand? Like, are they covering something up there, or does it just look bad? Yeah, or, yeah, know? that's that's not good. I think that's bad, and I actually think we should say Union Carbide India Limited slash India uh, Indian government. Okay. okay. I I think that's really only fair okay. because it's also on the Indian government to make sure that their people are protected. Okay, I like that. I guess at this point, it feels like the brain drain. It would have been useful. But they, uh, regardless, uh, the, the corporation would have, uh, even if, if you had really uh, the best of the best up top being supervisors, th- there's only so much they can do if the corporation is the one making the call, right? I agree. And I think we could roll negligence to fix safety protocols into either UCC. 
the Indian okay, one I like and that. the American one. Okay, here's a crazy thought. So just so for our listeners, so they know, Union Carbide Corporation is up, capitalism is up, Union Carbide India Limited and the Indian government and CEO Warren Anderson. And here's what I'm proposing. I think that we should put, since... All of these make up one whole. I think we should put Union Carbide Corporation, Union Carbide India Limited, and Indian government as one. Mm. You're putting in Union Carbide with the Indian government, eh? I guess they were I hand. I think they, they need to, they worked hand in hand. Look, yes, yeah. the, the, the UCC owned, what, 51%? Yeah. But there's a whole 49%. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and doesn't CEO Warren Anderson sort of, he's at the top of the food chain, isn't he? Yeah. So uh, Clayton might not be happy about this, but what do you think about this? This is what I'm proposing. Uh, you send Union, UCC, UCIL, and the Indian government to jail, and you give Warren Anderson the big slap. Send them all. that's what i'm saying this is before i make this call we have to understand like we're gonna have to do another wing of the alarmist jail like expand the jail this is a lot of people but i think it's necessary does warren get his own cell does warren get his own cell but he okay we could also we could also flip it we could send Warren to jail and then slap everyone else. Well, technically, Warren is going to jail because he is part of UCC. Yeah. Okay, so then true. slap. Okay, okay. Okay, I'll, you know, you're the boss. He's slapped yeah. in jail. He's beaten He's jail. He's slapped in jail. <laughs> okay, let's call it. Okay. CEO Warren Anderson, you're getting the big slap. UCC Union Carbide India Limited... And the Indian government, you're going to the alarmist jail. Well, capitalism ex- escapes again. Capitalism is the root cause of all That's of right. this. Let's just be clear. That's right. <laughs> Cutting costs. It's all capitalism, baby. Well, Nelson, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the Bhopal gas tragedy. It's a, an honor. Thank you so much for having me. According to The Atlantic, quote, In the decades since, many other sites of industrial waste in New Jersey, Missouri, Ohio have been cleaned up. But this 70-acre site in Bhopal has, apart from the riotous jungle basil, remained mostly unchanged. The Greenpeace report estimated that cleanup costs would be $30 million over four years. Dow DuPont, the UCC's current owner, had an estimated revenue in 2017 of $62 billion. Many of those who died during this terrible disaster were never identified. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be discussing who's to blame for the terrifying thriller jaws Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.